Well, the series is called Comeback, and we're talking about how to, how to recover when you are dealt a setback in life. And kind of as we've been promoting this series, we've said since the beginning, there are some uh, personal crises that we go through that we had a role to play in. We did something, and it partially caused what it is that we're going through. Um, and we're going to talk about that uh, later on in the series. This is a three-week series. Um, but we also said that there are some crises in life that we go through uh, that we had nothing to do with. It wasn't our fault. We didn't ask for it. It's not fair, but we're dealing with it nonetheless. It's a broken world, and we're dealing with this major setback. We've got to figure out how do we recover from this. Um, and so in a moment, you're going to hear the story of a new springer who has just an incredible testimony. I, I've told the other services this. My, um, my mentor, my, my, uh, the pastor at the first church that I served at, he said, Jonathan, I'll tell you something that will help you in life and ministry. He said, in life, you're either either coming out of a crisis, you're in the middle of one, or you're getting ready to go into one. And he said, so if you want to have a successful life, you're going to have to know what your game plan is uh, for dealing with a crisis. And so you're getting ready to hear a person. Jared's story is just about the most phenomenal, miraculous story I've ever heard. You, you talk about somebody for whom the odds were really stacked against them. Uh, I mean, Jared came back from the edge, and his testimony and his story is so incredible. It's going to change your life. And so I want to uh, encourage you to watch this video testimony, and then I'll be back in just a moment. So we can go ahead and roll the video. A couple's life together shattered by a drunk driver. The accident happened about a year and a half ago. Jared Estes was badly burned. His wife, Paige, killed. The drunk driver is now in prison, and Jared slowly putting his life back together. So before I took up speaking as a full-time career a couple years ago, I worked in the arena world for quite a long time. And that night we had tickets to a Wichita Thunder hockey game at the arena where I worked. And we were on our way home and we were in Paige's car, so she was driving and I was sitting in the passenger seat. And then we had two friends with us, Danae and Deline were sitting in the back seat. And I only remember a couple of things before everything happened. We got on the highway and I remember it must have been cowbell night at the Thunder game because my friend Deline had gotten a hold of a cowbell and she was doing the more cowbell thing from Saturday Night Live if you've ever seen it. But uh, I remember we were all laughing and then I went from that vision of all of us laughing to I heard a sound in my head like a TV turning off, like a zoop, kind of like that. And, then everything just went completely black for me. And then I heard the beginning of a loud quaking explosion and then it just cut off midway through. And from there it felt like I jumped into one of those dreams where you're trying to run or you're trying to move or you're trying to punch but your body's just not reacting the way that it should. And from there I just lost all concept of space and time in this blank space in my head. And meanwhile, what had happened was the guy that ran into us had been at a bar down the street and uh, he had just gotten a Porsche and he was offering rides to people in his Porsche. And uh, his passenger said that he came up to him and he said, hey, do you want to go for a spin around the block? But rather than going for a spin around the block, they jumped on the highway and he floored it and he started counting off the miles as they got faster. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. And his passenger said that they got up to 150 miles an hour or close to it. Um, before they came right over. There's just this little dip in the highway where our car was, and we were in the center lane of the highway. We were at the bottom of this dip, so he came flying over it and just smashed into us from behind. And uh, when he hit us, both cars exploded on impact. He and his passenger were ejected out of his front windshield. 
our car, he hit us so hard, we spun backward and we hit the median so hard that my friend Danae, who was sitting in the back seat, was ejected through the rear window across all three lanes of oncoming traffic on the other side. And uh, Danae broke both of her hips really badly and got some really bad road rash, but has had an amazing recovery. She's such a tough cat. Uh, my friend Deline, who was sitting next to Danae, she didn't know that Danae had been ejected and, and their cousins. Um, and the car was so full of flames that Deline couldn't see to the other side of the back seat. So she was reaching through these flames, trying to grab Danae and pull her out, and she couldn't find her. And eventually, Deline was being burned so badly looking for Danae that she had to crawl out uh, kind of where the trunk would have been. And she crawled out and crawled to safety over by the median. And uh, lucky for me, a hero driving by, a guy saw the explosion and saw the accident. And he stopped and he came over to my window and he kicked out my window. And I got to talk to him later and he said he felt bad because he said when he kicked out my window, he said that he kicked me in the head really hard. And what's interesting about that is that uh, like normally when you wake up from something, you're either sitting down or you're lying down. But for me, when I woke up this night, uh, I was actually standing firmly on my feet. So. I wonder if when he kicked out that window, if he didn't uh, jar me back awake. And then he reached in the car and he grabbed me by the shoulders and he pulled me out. And then he stood me up outside the car. So my first memory is I'm standing up outside the car and I'm looking at this guy and I have no clue on God's green earth who this guy is. And I don't remember anything about who I was with or the game or anything. I feel like I just got dropped into the middle of a dream. And then it wasn't until I looked over to my right and I saw my friend Deline sitting over to my right, um, maybe about six to eight feet away from where I was. And she was sitting against the median and she was holding both of her hands in front of her chest like this and they were burned really badly and her hair was smoking and she had a really glazed over look in her eyes like she was going into shock. And as soon as I saw Deline, it clicked for me and I remembered uh, the night, what we had been doing. I knew we were on our way home. I realized we must have been in an accident. My first thought was that somebody had gotten on the highway going the wrong way and hit us from the front just because it happened so quickly. And then I turned and I looked up the road and I saw two bodies lying in the road quite a ways up from where I was. And it would turn out to be the guy that hit us and his passenger, but I'm just convinced that that has to be Paige and Danae because the car is just this crumpled ball of flames and there's just nothing left of it. And then uh, three of the guys with the fire department got a hold of me. And, uh, and then they started trying to force me out onto a spine board and I kept trying to get away from them. And I kept yelling Paige's and Danae's name over and over again, still trying to get that response. And then I kept asking these guys, did everybody get out? Did everyone get out? And they wouldn't answer. They would say, we don't know. And that just frustrated me even more. So I kept trying to get away to go find him. And I got to talk to one of those guys later too. And he said he felt bad because when I was trying to rip away from him to get away, the, he said that the skin on my right shoulder on my right side was actually coming off in his hands. And, um, and then a medic came over and he got right up in my face. And he said, yes, everybody got out. He said it very sternly and he lied to me but uh, he probably saved my life in doing so because then I did calm down and I let them put me on the stretcher and they loaded me into the ambulance and I went into a coma pretty shortly after and then they kept me in a coma for the better part of two weeks. But I remember a couple of things before that happened. Uh, I remember first, I asked the medic, as we started to move, I asked him, I said, is it bad, like my injury? And he named a percentage. He said, uh, it looks like about 35%. And then he rolled me over and he rolled me back. And uh, he said, actually, it looks more like 50. And I said, is that bad? And he said, that's not good. And 
the very last thing that I remember, uh, it's kind of funny, I was burned from the waist up, so my shirt was completely burned off, but my jeans were still in perfect condition. And you know how you have that one pair of jeans that's just your favorite and they're all broken in and you just wear them all the time? This was my absolute favorite pair of Hurley jeans. And I remember they started to cut my jeans off from the cuff up. And I remember saying, don't cut off my jeans, guys. You know, like, uh, like they were just being ridiculous in that moment. And from there, it was lights out. Uh, I was gone. Being in a coma was very strange for me. I had these extremely long, extremely vivid, extremely dark dreams. And in all of them, I was either running from something or fighting something uh, constantly. And there were bits and pieces of those last few things I'd seen in the road sort of theming these dreams, just the darkness and the fire and the fear. They were just all, every dream was just drenched in fear. And these dreams, it felt like I was dreaming in real time. They would go on for such a long time. So I'd be fighting or running from whatever I'd be doing, go to sleep in the dream, wake up this next day still in that dream and have to go about fighting or running from whatever I was doing. And uh, so when I woke up from this series of dreams, it felt to me like it had been two weeks. But uh, instead of fighting for my life in the hospital, I felt like I'd been doing all this crazy stuff in my head. And so it just took me a little bit to realize what my situation was. And I remember the day that I put it all together, there were a lot of people in my room and these were my friends and my family and people I'd loved and known my entire life. And they look like strangers to me. And it's weird, you get used to the way the people you love look at you. It's not something that you consciously think about, it's just comfortable. And uh, the way that everybody was looking at me was so foreign to me that it scared me. And I think the look in their eyes was a mix of pity and fear and sadness. But as soon as I saw it, I knew my situation was bad before I knew what it was. And then I noticed that Paige is not in the room with them. So immediately I start asking them to send Paige in. I wanna see her right now, you know? And, then I noticed that nobody's scurrying off to go get her. And um, I was like, why aren't you guys going? Go get her. And meanwhile, my dad was in the background rounding everybody up and he got them together and he got them out of the room and he closed the door. And, and then he told me that Paige didn't survive and uh, never made it out of the car. And uh, anyone who's ever lost someone close to them, which is most all of us, we all know that feeling when you first get the news and honestly for long after, and it just feels like somebody scooped out your insides and it's a very hollow, empty feeling. And it's like that one voice that can make everything okay is just that one voice that you're never going to hear again. So clearly it hit me very hard. And uh, pretty soon after dad told me the nurses had him leave the room, they were getting ready to come in and do what they call a dressing change on me. And so I had about five minutes in the room before the nurses came in to do that. And uh, I vividly remember uh, these five minutes in that room. I, uh, I was laying there and I had a chance to just sort of let it all wash over me and to think about it. And at first I started to think about my life and a future without Paige. And I had never imagined a future without Paige. It's something I'd never fathomed. We'd been together since we were so young. I just never had even pictured that. And I couldn't even get a, a vision of it in my head. And on top of that, I. I never thought of a world without Paige in it. The fact that the world was still spinning and Paige wasn't here made no sense to me. And on top of that, you know, when you when you really love somebody, whether you're in a relationship or not, when you really love them, uh, you just know, you don't think, you know that if you're ever in a situation like that, where you're that close to them and their life is in jeopardy in some way, shape or form, you know that you're going to save them or you're going to die trying. And, and I didn't do that. I, I had failed at that and uh, I sort of made a promise to myself um, 
that I was going to make it to Paige's grave. Uh, when I was in the burn center, I never had a chance to grieve the way uh, that everybody else did. I, there was somebody in my room all the time doing something else to me. And on top of that, my friends and my family had all been to the funeral and they were two weeks into their grieving process. And it's not that they weren't still sad or broken by any means, but this was like a fresh wound for me. And so I felt sort of alone in my grief. And so what I decided I was gonna do is I was just gonna stuff it all down and I would just do whatever they told me to do to try to get well enough uh, to make a trip to the cemetery. And then when I got to the cemetery, uh, and got to Paige's grave, that's when I would just unload and just let it all out. So I used that as my goal uh, going forward to push me through a lot of really tough days in the burn center. When I was using it to push myself through all these tough days in the hospital, I always had this picture of what it was going to look like when I got to the cemetery. And in it, I always saw myself kneeling down by Paige's grave and grabbing piles of dirt and slamming them on the ground and yelling at the sky and, you know, just really throwing a fit worthy of Paige. And uh, when I got to the cemetery, the first thing that I realized was that I didn't have the strength to kneel down by her grave. And so I had to sit in this lawn chair. So immediately, as soon as I'm sitting in this lawn chair, I am frustrated. And, uh, and then I looked down at my hands and I realized I couldn't do anything with my hands because they were both in these big splints. So I couldn't grab anything or do anything with my hands. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, I was burned above and below my right eye and it caused my eye to stay stuck open. So I had to have this surgery where they had to graft my eyelid and then they actually had to sew my eye shut for three weeks. So my eye was actually sewn shut so I couldn't even really cry. And I was sitting there and I was thinking about how I had promised myself I was going to make it here and I was going to do these things and I couldn't even keep a promise to myself. And, uh, and then I started to think about how was my goal to get to the cemetery, and I didn't really have a goal after that. And from there, I really started to wallow. I started to think about how much better off my friends and family would be if I just died, and what a burden I must be on them. And I just took on this attitude, like, whatever doesn't kill you only makes you wish you were dead kind of thing. And, uh, and from there, I looked at my future, and I didn't see anything good in my future. I just saw uh, a lot of surgeries and court dates and pain and pity. and. I was so tired. I can't explain how tired I was. I was so tired of being pitied. I was so tired of feeling alone in a crowded room. I was so tired of not sleeping. I was tired of missing Paige. I was tired of uh, just not being treated like myself. And I was just exhausted. So all at once while I was sitting there, I, I came to the decision that, uh, that I was done, that I was giving up. And I didn't have the exact details as to what that meant for me or when, but I just knew I couldn't keep going and I didn't see why I should. And while I was sitting there coming to this decision, Paige's mom pulled into the cemetery and she didn't know that I was there. She was bringing some flowers out to the grave. She lives out that way. And um, she got out of the car and she came over and I gave her as best of a hug as I could. I still couldn't really touch people at the time because everything hurt so bad. Uh, and then she said, hey, there's a couple rascals in the car who want to say hi to you. And uh, Paige's mom, uh, had uh, was remarried again later in life. So she had, uh, Paige had some siblings that were quite a bit younger than her. And two of them were named Samantha and Bubba. And at this point, they were probably about third and fourth grade. And with Paige and I dating from such a young age, I actually got to have a part in raising these kids when they were really little. And then we were the cool grownups, you know, that could come home and pick them up and take them to the movies and give them a bunch of Red Bull and give them back to their parents, you know? And I just absolutely love these kids. And at this point in my recovery, I had not seen any kids intentionally because I was a very scary 
Dairy side, especially kids that I'd seen. You know, my uh, I was still bleeding from a lot of areas on my face. I had to wear those long stocking caps and hats with gauze tucked underneath and pulled over my head. I'd lost like 65 pounds. Had to walk on my tiptoes because I had drop foot so bad from the hospital. My shoulder was sucked all the way up to uh, the side of my head like this because I had a really bad scar band. Uh, had those splints on my hands, my eyes sewn shut. They were shaving the right side of my face and the right side of my head. And I kind of just gave up on the left side. So I had this pretty sweet half beard thing going on like a Gillette commercial. So uh, when she told me that they were there, at first I was just mortified because I just did not want them to see me like this. But I went ahead and I said, okay. And, uh, and she, Bev motioned to the car for them to get out and come over. And when she did that, the back door opened and they got out of the car and they started to walk toward me. And as soon as they started toward me, something hit me and it hit me really hard. And it was their faces. They looked so much like Paige, and I did not remember them looking that much like Paige. And uh, I hadn't seen them in so long, but I hadn't seen her in so long, most of all. Um, but it just hit me. It was almost like she stepped out of that car, and it just threw me back on my heels. And from there, I started to think about, what if it was them in this accident and not me? What would I want, not just for them, but for myself, more than anything in the world? And it would be for them to come back from this and to be strong again and to be happy again. And I would give or sacrifice anything in the world to get them there. And, and then I thought about what if it was Paige and our roles were reversed and I was gone and she was the one sitting in the cemetery giving up the way that I was. And I thought about how heartbroken I would be. All I would want in the world is for her to take that famous smile out and go heal hearts with it the way that she does so well. And from there, it just really hit me. Uh, that, uh, that that was sort of like my, my moment where I didn't want to carry on, but it just, it hit me that uh, uh, it wasn't about me, I guess, you know? I was really just so dwelling on the fact that it was about me, and uh, it hit me how selfish my line of thought was right before that. It's terrible, I did lose my wife, and that's awful, but Bubba and Samantha lost a sister, and Bev lost a daughter, and so many people lost a friend, and I was so caught up in my own pain, in my own loss, that I don't think I was really there for them the way that I could have been or should have been. And on top of that, they didn't lose me, and they had all invested a lot of hope in me to get me to that cemetery. They knew it was my goal, and people had fought so hard for me. And I was just losing sight of that fact. So when I left the cemetery that day, I did have a new goal, and it's that I was going to come back from this, and I was gonna be strong again, and I was gonna be happy again, and I was never gonna stop fighting. And I wasn't gonna do it for me, I was going to do it for them, because I'd want them to do it for me if the shoe was on the other foot. And so that's what I use as my goal going forward and to this day. So I had a lot of short-term goals in between that, especially in the way of court dates and surgeries. And at that point, like I said, I probably had about 15 surgeries and I've probably had about 35 cents. So I probably had about 50 total surgeries. Uh, a lot of it's pretty standard burn guy stuff, but I wanted to tell you about one in particular that was kind of interesting. I had to go to Chicago and get a prosthetic ear because I actually lost an ear in this whole thing. And at first when I was researching prosthetic ears, I wanted something that was permanent because I didn't want something that was like gonna pop off at a dinner party or on a roller coaster or something. But after I researched them, I realized that the ear has to come on and off because there's living tissue underneath. So after I got the ear, I realized I definitely underestimated how cool it is to have an ear you can just pop on and off whenever you want because I can like drop it in my niece's juice or put it in someone's chicken sandwich or if my buddy's telling a really long boring story I can just set it down on the table and be like I'm listening and then just leave <laughs> and so um, but I'll show you real quick so that's my ear sometimes I like to tell myself secrets 
but uh, but I thought it would be that would be fun someday to go to like a Claire's in the mall, you know, where they pierce ears and uh, just very casually walk up to the counter and ask the girl how much it would cost to get an ear pierced. And when she answers me, I would just be like, you know what, I think I'll do that. And then I would take it off and I would lay it down on the counter. And then what I would do is I would shop around and wait for her to actually get up the nerve to poke it. And when she does, I would just scream from across the store like, ow, you know, like you gotta warn me. So, um, so that's a bucket list thing. <laughs> A lot of times with God, uh, people think that he's supposed to be like a genie, like we pray to God and poof, things are supposed to appear. But I believe the way that things work for me, uh, the way that I believe it works is that he sends us opportunity and opportunity comes in the form of people. And it's up to us to recognize those people coming in and out of our lives to capitalize on that. And uh, I think for a long time, I didn't capitalize on that. But after I realized this, I really started to uh, try to keep my eyes open for those opportunities and for those people. And it just defied coincidence how often just the right person was there at just the right time to say or do just the right thing. And sometimes it could be something as simple as a little kid saying just what I needed to hear. But, um, but yeah, so uh, the day before Thanksgiving uh, 2013, I left my job at the arena and my career in that business uh, to take on speaking full time. And when I left my job, I had a lot of people in my life that loved me and they were looking out for me and they were arguing logical things with me, like what about benefits and salary and things like this. And I was trying to argue with them with a feeling. And I was just say, I just have this feeling that this is what I'm supposed to do. And then they would say something like, well, you've got to follow your dream. And uh, this isn't my dream, you know, talking about the worst moments of your life over and over again isn't really a dream job. I just feel like it's what I'm supposed to do, but, um, since I did leave in these last couple of years, I've had some days that felt like absolute dreams, being able to speak at military bases and to meet all of these people and have them share their stories with me and be able to converse with people that I likely wouldn't talk to ever or get to know at all. And uh, it's really meant the world to me to do this. Um, so taking that step away was huge for me. And my hope with speaking full time is uh, when I go out and tell my story, my hope is to show everybody that it's not just my story, it's all of our stories. We all have things like this in our lives. By no means do I pretend that any of this was unique to me. The, the pain and the loneliness and the depression and the sleeplessness and the terrible dreams and uh, the loss of a loved one and the, the fear and just everything that I went through, we all have these things in our lives. And there's no gauge for what's better or worse because when we're, when we're in the heat of whatever we're struggling with, it just consumes us and, and it can pull us down. And uh, so I think it's so important to remember that we're all in that same boat. And uh, I, uh, I named my presentation Fire Back. When I, so when I go out and speak, it, this presentation is called Fire Back. And the reason I named it that is because for all of us, at some point in our lives, life is going to knock us down. And oftentimes while we're down there, it's gonna take a few more shots at us, you know? And life was never promised to be easy and this is a broken world and it's just, it is going to happen to us. And I know we've all heard those cliched sayings about, you know, when life knocks you down, you gotta get back up. But I don't think that's enough. If we get back up, we're still just standing still. And so so I think we have to get back up and we have to fire back and take a few shots of our own. And, um, and when we do that, the world just comes up with us. And the absolute best way that I found to do that is to just get outside of ourselves. And as much as our struggles and our pain and everything we're going through might be tough on us, to remember that the people around us are going through their own as well and not to dwell uh, on our own pain and our own loss. And so it took me about three years and about 50 surgeries to really come back from all of this mentally and physically. And throughout that, 
I learned some really tough lessons. And after I had a chance to process these lessons, I learned that they weren't just lessons. They're actually more like weapons, like things that we can always use when times get dark and when things get tough. Uh, things that we can use to help fight our way out of the dark and fight our way back to the light. And they're things that everybody knows, uh, but I was hoping to share them here at the end just to remind everybody that we have these things in our arsenal. Uh, so the first weapon would be grace. And to me, I would define grace as equal parts kindness and forgiveness and patience. And grace can be so tough to muster if we're not having our best day or if the people around us are annoying or if we're going through our own struggles and in our own head. But if we can muster that grace to put a smile on our face and say some kind words when we least feel like it or smile at someone when we least feel like it, and even if it's not fully deserved all the time, it ends up being the best thing we can do, not just for them, but for us. And uh, just to remember, as much as we're struggling and as tough as things are on us, just to remember that the person sitting across from us may be going through something far worse. And I had so many people show me such infinite amounts of grace during my recovery, and I definitely would not be here if it wasn't for that. And these were people going through their own struggles who had lost their own loved ones, they had illness and all these other things, and they put that to the side to help me move forward and to help push me forward. So I think it's important for us to remember uh, that we need to do that. Uh, the next one is goals. Uh, I mentioned when I got to the cemetery, that was my goal, and I didn't have a goal after that, and it almost cost me my life. And so I realized pretty quickly the importance uh, of having those long-term goals. Know what you want for your life, for your career, for your family, whatever it is, and then have those short-term goals in place. Have a plan of how you want to get there. And uh, this one was so important to me, and I obviously would not be here. I know it's an obvious one, but I just would not be here uh, without the realization of this one. Um, the next weapon is perspective. And for all of us, I know we We've all been through some really dark days and we've all been through some really tough times and when we're in the heat of those tough times we often make promises to ourselves and we tell ourselves that when we get to those better days we're gonna appreciate them more and we're gonna love harder and we're not gonna let the little things get to us and so often we get to those better days and we start to dwell on these little things that just don't matter and they start to eat into our hearts and our minds and our souls and they start to pull us down and they're just not worth it and so that's where I think it's so important for us to remember uh, what we promised ourselves in those dark days and in those tough times and be able to draw on that perspective and use that. Compare it to whatever it is you're, uh, you're hurting with today. Use that comparison of those really dark and those really tough days. And uh, I always call it the gift and the burden of perspective because I truly believe that uh, it's a it's a burden to gain perspective because you have to go through something really tough But it's a gift once you have it because it makes the trivial things just a little more transparent And it makes your choices just a little bit clearer So the next one and one of the absolute biggest ones for me is gratefulness and for me after the accident I spent so much time looking over my shoulder that I was missing what was happening right in front of my face And I remember the day that it really hit me and it occurred to me. It was nine months after the crash It was Christmas morning uh, of that year and I was sitting and I was watching my niece and my nephew and they were opening their presents and I remember thinking to myself this is such a good moment this is such a beautiful moment and then I thought man I haven't seen a moment like this in such a long time and then I realized that's ridiculous it had been nine months and I'd been with my family for this whole time there'd been lots of those moments but I was so caught up on what I didn't have and what I used to have and who I wished I was and who I wanted to be that I wasn't 
taking these moments in uh, when they were happening. I wasn't even acknowledging or recognizing them there. So it helped me to realize the importance of uh, not being able to look back and say that was a good moment, but being able to be in a moment and say this is a good moment, you know? And we're always gonna have things in our lives. We're gonna have goods and bads at all times of our lives. And it's our choice what we wanna focus on. If we're gonna focus on the bad things, we're gonna miss out on so much of the good things that are happening in front of us. And this is the last one and the biggest one for me. And it's letting go. Uh, for the longest time after my accident, I kept trying to be the Jared that I was before the accident. But I didn't look like him, and I didn't feel like him, and people didn't treat me like him, and so much of his future was wrapped around a future with Paige. And the more I tried to be that guy, the more consistently broken and beaten and disappointed I felt. So I ended up finding out that not only did I have to go through the grieving process of letting Paige go, but I had to go through the grieving process of letting that guy go too. And, uh, and it was really difficult for me. I was in denial for such a long time because that's the only person I knew how to be. But once I came to acceptance and I accepted that this is who I am now, this is how I look now, and this is how I'm going forward, then I was able to let him go. And I was able to take all of my uh, favorite memories and everything that Paige taught him and bring him with me into this guy. And it's helped me to try to focus on being the best version of who I am now rather than the best of what's left of who I was. And I think for all of us, we all have moments in our lives that change us so much and we don't want to accept that it changed us. And it doesn't have to always be a huge tragedy, you know, but it can, it can be a divorce, it can be an illness, uh, it can just be aging, it can be uh, an injury or whatever it may be. And there are things that just change us or the loss of somebody that we just love so much that's such a big part of us and we just don't want to accept that it has changed us as much as it has but if we can come to acceptance and accept that it has changed us and this is who we are now uh, then this new person is so much stronger and this new person has all that perspective that this person didn't and uh, to try to focus on the being the best version of who we are now again rather than the best of what's left of who we were so to wrap it up, I just really want to say that I truly believe that we don't ever have to be victims to our circumstances. I think it's just the opposite. I believe that we can be masters of our circumstances and we can take those things that could have held us back and the things that pushed us down and the things that hurt us in the past and we can use those things to help propel us into the future and to help push us forward. And I absolutely cannot stand the word victim unless it applies to somebody who is deceased. As long as we have a pulse in our minds, I believe that we can always fight back and we can always push forward and the absolute best way to do that is to get outside of ourselves and truly think about others and think about the people around us. Well New Spring Jared is with us this morning. Would you welcome him to the stage? Oh, it's such a privilege to have you with us, Jared, and what an incredible story. And uh, I, I really do believe that you're going to change the world with, with your perspective and with the messages and the takeaways that you have to share. Uh, I'm so, so proud to have you as a friend and so excited for what God is going to do in your life. And uh, I just wanted to, I wanted to read a verse. I'd planned to do this before, uh, you know, 
before I had even watched your video all the way through. But I want to tell you, you taught me something about this verse, and I'm really excited about putting this in my, uh, in my arsenal, as you say. Ready to go, right? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 20, I'm going to read this verse. It's out of uh, uh, verse 3. And this is Moses talking to his generals. And he's saying to his generals, there's going to be a lot of times when you're going to go up against an army who's bigger than you are. You're going to have a, an, an obstacle, a battle where you're outnumbered. And he said, it's going to happen so often, I want you to make sure you practice this speech to give to the people when this happens. And he says, here's what I want you to tell them. Don't be afraid as you go out to fight your enemies today. Don't lose heart or panic or tremble. Uh, for the Lord your God is going to do three things. He's going to go with you. He's going with you. He will fight for you. Uh, kind of run interference for you, and he will give you the victory, right? So I was planning on reading this verse, but what was so cool is when you were teaching about perspective, uh, and then we've been talking about this, you say, you know, this isn't just about uh, believing that God is with you. This is about looking for those signs that God is with you and being aware of the people that he brings into your life, being aware of the circumstances um, that he arranges to help you through those difficult times, to help you come back, um, and that you have to be intentional about it. You can't just be passive. You've got to be active, and you've got to be looking for it. Um, so, I mean, with that in mind, I just want to ask you this question, because you have the authority to speak into a situation that I've never been in, and so because you've been here, I want you to have the opportunity to talk to New Springers who would say, I'm against impossible odds right now. Like, I'm in a spot right now in my life where... Uh, I'm frustrated because it's not fair. What I'm going through is not fair. Uh, it's impossible. Uh, nobody seems to think I can make it. I, I'm, I, I know I need to put one foot in front of the other, but right now I don't feel like doing that. Um, and I need some encouragement to go on, and I need to, some insight on, on what it takes to go on. Could you speak into that person's life? Uh, sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, by no means do I claim to have, to have it all figured out uh, at all. You know, everything that, uh, all the points that I bring up and all those weapons, I'm still working on every day myself. But uh, to that question, um, I, would, I would go with that, probably two things on that. Um, the first one kind of applies, it goes back to uh, the gratefulness point that I made earlier. And um, I used to have this, uh, a couple of terrible reoccurring dreams for a long time. And um, they still come around once in a while, but they used to be very frequent. Um, one of them was where uh, I was being operated on in the hospital and uh, they were just treating me like a piece of meat. I was awake and aware. And, um, and they were working on me, but they weren't treating me like a human. And it goes back to something that actually did happen at one point, but I had this dream. Um, but the worst one and the more frequent one is um, I have a dream where uh, I'm sitting next to Paige in the car and I'm watching her burning and I uh, can't help her. I can't move and I can't get to her. And uh, I wake up from this dream uh, frequently, uh, whenever I wake up, I wake up in a cold sweat and I can't catch my breath and it just takes me a second. And uh, it used to be uh, when I would have this dream, um, there was just no getting back to sleep for me. I was, uh, I was just stuck and it didn't matter how much Ambien I took or whatever I did, there was just no sleep to be had. Um, but once I sort of realized that gratefulness lesson and understood uh, what that really meant, uh, what I try to do now is I try to take stock. And I try to, uh, uh, what I do is when I do wake up, if that does happen and I'm in that sweat and I, and I, and I feel that, I try to take stock and just uh, really uh, take stock of all the blessings in my life and think of all the people in my life who've, uh, who've helped me and who love me and who've helped me through it and uh, everything that I have and uh, everybody who's helped me and just uh, all of that. So I just sort of 
think of all those things and remember who I am now and, and how far I've come. And, uh, and then I'm able to go back to sleep. And so, uh, so I think for uh, a lot of us sometimes, uh, uh, demons try to use fear. I feel like fear, a lot of times when I do go out and speak, I talk about fear being another one of those weapons. And it sounds crazy that fear is a weapon that we can use, but... Um, but almost every time that I sense that emotion, that fear, whatever it is I'm afraid of, I know that that's the thing I'm supposed to do, you know? And I'm not talking about stupid fear, like sliding off a roof into some bowling pins, but uh, like genuine fear about things we know we're supposed to do, but we're afraid of failing, or we're afraid of looking foolish, um, but we know we're supposed to do it. But that's our demons telling us we're not good enough and that we're not gonna be able to do it. And uh, if we never face those fears, if we never tackle those things, then they maintain that power over us and, um, and it holds us down. And so, uh, so that's a big one for sure. And uh, the other thing is uh, that a lot of times when you're going through a really tough time and when you're in a tough spot, uh, and it's an old coaching term, but a lot of, t- uh, a lot of times you'll p- ha- have people in your life tell you this, but they'll say something like, well, you gotta dig deep inside yourself and find it, you know, find it inside yourself to get through it. And, I think that's 100% false. That day I was sitting in the cemetery, I dug down to the deepest recesses of my soul and all I saw was darkness and despair and more and more of it. It wasn't until I got outside myself that I really figured it out and was able to, uh, to push myself forward and really find purpose and meaning. And I was able to answer the why. You know, I didn't know why I should carry on or why I should move forward. Um, but that's where the why was. The why was in getting outside myself. And uh, I know a lot of times we're, we struggle to find purpose uh, and meaning in our lives. And I think purpose and meaning is um, fairly obvious and easy. I think purpose and meaning is that uh, we're supposed to be there for each other. We're supposed to really help each other through all of us the way that God would want us to, you know. And, um, and so that's the easy part. The hard part sometimes is the execution. And the, uh, we're, when we're going through our own stuff and our own struggles, it's tough to, to move past our own struggles or to put those aside to help somebody through it. But um, like I said, I had so many people do that for me, people that were really struggling, put that stuff to the side to really help me get through, uh, through my stuff. So I just think that's so, so important. Well, and I, I think you, know, you, you talk about purpose, and I, I feel like God has really helped you just find the center of, of your purpose in the middle of this. And I know uh, your story is going gonna, is gonna to continue to change lives. It already has, but I know it's going to continue to change lives. And I, I want to go ahead and just as, as we're closing out this service, uh, I want to do something kind of different, kind of special. I'm going to ask that everybody bow your heads and close your eyes with me just for a moment. Um, because you may be resonating... Uh, with Jared's story this morning. You might say, you know what, Jonathan, I'm in the middle of something that's just flat out not fair. And I just am so depressed because I'm trying to come back from it, but I did not ask for this. Um, And it's really creating a lot of personal hurt. And it's kind of put up a wall in my life and I really don't know what to do about it. Or maybe there's someone in your life who's going through that right now and you love them and you don't know how to help them, but you wanna see them do well. But you'd say, Jonathan, either I'm in the middle of this right now, I'm going through a a huge setback that I didn't ask for, somebody that I love is, would you raise your hands? And I'm gonna pray for everyone whose hand is lifted in the room, see several hands coming up all across the room. And I'm gonna pray for you and ask that God will be with you in your situation. Father, thank you so much for every person in this room who has a hand raised. And you know each specific situation that those hands represent. And you know the pain. You understand it. Father, you tell us in your word that you are not untouched uh, by pain and by human emotion. You know what it feels like. um, And so I just ask that in your 
wisdom and in your mercy, you would speak to each one of these situations, that you would bring healing, that you would bring uh, peace, a spirit of calmness, uh, but more than that, a spirit of motivation, a spirit that says, I can do it, I can go on, I can keep moving uh, because I can come back. And Father, I pray for those uh, signs of your presence that would line the experience, even in the middle of dark days, that help that person recognize that you are there. And Father, I, I pray that you would give uh, uh, each person that's going through this time insight and an ability to see some light at the end of the tunnel and to know that there is brighter, there are brighter days ahead. I pray, Father, for each person in this room who's hurting right now for a loved one who would say, I just wish they weren't having to go through this. I pray for their grief as they're struggling, seeing someone that they love also struggle. Father, I pray for your uh, precious and special uh, anointing of grace in those moments to allow us to, uh, to sense your presence, to know you're there, to bank on that, and to step forward and to know that you will fight for us as you've told us in your word. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for Jared. Thank you for his phenomenal testimony. Thank you for allowing him to change so many lives. Father, we pray you would empower him and anoint him and give him a great ministry uh, of challenging those who are going through difficult times and comforting them as well. Uh, thank you, Father, for this time. Dismiss us with your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank Jared again, would you, for being here with us this morning.